dignity. Security. Freedom. Freedom. Respect. Justice. 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 Equality. Equality. Remedy. Protection. Fairness. Fair trial. To all of our listeners on CJTR Community Radio at 91.3 FM and over the internet at cjtr.ca. We can also be heard on SASTEL Max at Channel 806 and Access Communications Digital Service at Channel 700. Wherever you are, welcome to Human Rights Radio, hosted weekly by Amnesty International volunteers. Our theme song is titled 30 Words. The Universal Declaration of Human Rights, written and performed by REM and a collection of musicians from around the world. I'm Jim Hutchings, and with me are my co-hosts, Darlene Sliz, Daylene. Oh, oh my God. Are you, you kidding me? You can beat me later. <laughs> <laughs> After all this time. <laughs> Daylene. Oh, my. Sorry. A little aside there. I'm bad for that. I thought I was over it. Jim, Jim, okay. Jim. All right, let's get back on track here. All right. Good idea, eh? <laughs> There's my moment of attrition here. I, um, I, anyway, <laughs> See, then I'm, I'm misusing all kinds of words here now. I'm, I'm, I'm coming apart. I'm coming apart. But, it's the right. heat. It's the heat. That's what Don't it is. Blame That's, the heat. Uh, Alrighty, okay. Oh. We'll find some way for me to atone Redeem later. Redeem yourself? Yes, if that's possible. Wow. But anyway, <laughs> let's get back on track. And we have with us uh, Janine Windolph and Trudy Stewart. Okay, I got that right. Oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> Who are co-organizers of Rise to Action Symposium. And... Uh, We'll find out more about Rise to Action right now. So welcome, everyone, and I'm hoping that sometime Daylene will forgive me. 
thanks yeah. for having us. Uh, well, welcome to the show. And um, Janine, you're also the president of uh, Rise uh, Commemorative Association. That's correct, right? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. So um, the uh, the third annual Memorial Walk for the Children is coming up on Wednesday, July 27th, and it starts at 12 noon and it runs till 4 p.m. Um, so before we get into the details of that, can you tell us um, uh, a little bit about yourselves and um, how you became involved with the project, all the, the projects involved with the RISE um, Memorial Walk and the symposium and uh, the Commemorative Association? Sounds good. I'll let Trudy start this off and I'll carry on from there. Okay, <laughs> sounds good. We, we play hot potato all the time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm Trudy Stewart and uh, along with Janine, uh, we had directed a 47-minute documentary called Rise from Amnesia and that was about a year and a half of research uh, around the Regina Indian Industrial School, its legacy and um, stories that came out of it. And uh, we were approached actually by um, members of the United Church that were hoping to um, do a documentary. And uh, so the project was funded through the United Church of Canada's uh, Justice and Reconciliation Fund. Um, so we became uh, very connected to the land there. And we we became, I guess, part of the story because we... Um, saw that there was no, you know, spearheading, there was no, you know, uh, group that was actually moving things forward. So we became, we became part of the group. Uh, There was a First Nations working group uh, that had uh, met a a number of times and Janine was uh, appointed the president of the Rise Commemorative Association because uh, she's, has a decade over a decade of of experience working with nonprofits and you know she knows everything to do with starting a nonprofit so what the chiefs had wanted was a um nonprofit that would work towards building a, a commemorative stone and and you know just basically protecting the land and acknowledging the history that's there mm-hmm. yeah and I'm Janine and part of our background together as well is we went to the same film school. We weren't in the same year, but we were interested in film and documentary film and the power it had to share stories and to create movement. And in our time, we also served at the Truth and Reconciliation as statement gatherers. So all this kind of led to us having another perspective on the issue. And while we were uh, working on this, we also felt a deep connection to the children in the site. And I believe for myself that's why I'm still there is I really feel like there's still a lot of work that has to be done so we know that even though it's been a long journey since we started we'll be there to the bitter end but in that journey and how a lot of the things can kind of take a weight on you when you work in heavy issues like this is also to remind yourself how far we've come so the events for the rise to action is not only to keep the Regina Indian Industrial School in the public eye, it's also to celebrate how far we've come together because all the groups that are organizing and forming have all centralized to work together to start protecting the land, designating the land, just keeping it in our narrative. And I think that's the most important part. And then also, not only is it a Regina story, it's a Saskatchewan story, it's a Prairie Province story. It also goes as far as 
international because students have come across the border to go to the school. So we felt that what had once started off as a very kind of small issue has now a really larger impact on Canadian narrative as well. So we feel like the responsibility to do this is very important and working with community is very important. So we really hope that we get the engagement that next week for a rise to action. We know there's a lot of people supporting it, so we hope to see them out there. And we can talk more about it as we go. But Because mm-hmm. there were students also from Alberta and Manitoba that had gone to the school and who are possibly buried in that cemetery in the unmarked graves. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. So um, tell us about the history of the school. Um, it started in 1890. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, 1891. Uh, it was run by the um, Presbyterian Church's Foreign Missions, I believe, and uh, funded by the federal government. So it was in operation from 1891 to 1910. Um, as you mentioned, there were students, you know, back then it was before Saskatchewan was a province, so it was the Northwest Territories, so they came from as far away as Enoch, which is up in Alberta, or sorry, up by Edmonton, mm-hmm. and uh, all across Saskatchewan, um, going very far up north to, uh, there was a lot of students from Mistawasis, and that's, you know, a six-hour drive now, but back then, a buggy ride would have been a lot longer. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And and also from Manitoba. And we have a story uh, that's going to be featured in the um, one of the events next week, where uh, a great grandchild of a student talks about uh, her great-grandfather being a student there and how he he actually came up from the United States. Um, so during the Indian Wars, they uh, sometimes took the children up here and left them in the school just to keep them from that. Mm-hmm. So uh, he ended up being one of those children and had uh, stayed and lived in the area after. Mm-hmm. So yeah. after um, it was a school, then it became a was it? A, it was a city jail, I understand. Yes. And then, and then a home for delinquent boys. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the the school burnt down in 1948. And what we heard was that they took the stones from that and sent them up north to Larange and built a residential school up there with them. And so it would have looked. We're told that they used the same stones that they used to make a government house. So it it would have had that look on the outside. But uh, after 1948, um, where the school used to sit, the Dojak Center sits now, which, as we know, is a, is a you know youth detention facility. So it's really carried on, that legacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's approximately 40 children buried uh, in the cemetery and unmarked graves, as well as children um, from the first principal of that school from what I understand yes. um, how uh, and and as we said children uh, from Alberta and Manitoba and, and surrounding areas how were they discovered uh, well a few years ago I think it was 2012 there was a news story on CTV um, that they were going to be widening Pinky Road and so uh, a gentleman who grew up near that area his his father worked at a cement block plant that was right by the cemetery so he used to go to work with his dad and his dad told him that 
that area over there is haunted. And he said that there was a white fence and he would see little white things moving around. And he actually became quite connected to it. He used to ride his bike around there and that. And uh, so he called CTV and said, you can't, they can't widen that road because there's a cemetery there. And um, so they, a lot of people weren't sure about that. There was very few people who actually knew that there was a cemetery there. So they sent some researchers from the U of R with um, this gentleman who's named Michael Dabransky, and uh, he showed them the headstone. And and uh, all that was peeking up was just the very top of the cemetery, the, the stone for the children. And so what we discovered was, uh, you know, with blow dirt coming in, that that was actually only the very top of a much larger stone underneath. And whose headstone was that? And that was for the children and, I believe, the principal. Okay, so the yeah. principal of the school and and that person's children? Right. Okay. Right, all the all the wooden crosses for the, um, the First Nations children that were there were had all burnt in that prairie fire or who had just been damaged from just being old and mm-hmm. wood. Yeah. And there was also another small group uh, that were working on the Municipal Heritage Committee. Uh, one of the committee members who had passed on now named Keith Knox had shared the history with some of the members who also carried the torch for a while and one of their goals was to make sure that it's not forgotten and to hand it over to First Nations people and so when they kind of started advocating and and talking that was also another way the information was was coming out so it seemed that even though it was generally forgotten there were still people who had the narrative in their oral history and were trying to keep it alive but at the time when this history was starting to be talked about there wasn't people ready to listen and I think we're in a different state now where people are willing to listen and to accept a lot of the truths that this symbolically brings out in its history. Mm -hmm. I think the truth and reconciliation um, uh, has probably contributed to that. People are now more aware and they're starting to really listen um, do we know any of the identities of any of the children, uh, aside from the principal's children, um, th- that are buried there? Uh, well, through oral history, through family oral history, uh, we know that there may be one um, in particular. If you watch our, our documentary, Rise from Amnesia, one of the storytellers, Anthony Johnston, talked about how... Um, his grandfather and siblings had gone to the school and then at the end of the school year when they all came back home one young woman his sister didn't come back and so they had asked the indian agent what happened why didn't our daughter come home and so he said i'll do some asking around and then came back to him and said she died at the school a few months ago and without further explanation about No, no notification. Right. They had to ask. Yeah. How did these children, do we know how most of these children died or all of them? Uh, Well, I don't think they all died of the same thing, but one of the main reasons was tuberculosis. Mm -hmm. A lot of the conditions made it easy for these conditions to run rapid. And so um, because tuberculosis was introduced to First Nations people who haven't had like generations to kind of have an immunity or to be able to kind of survive through it it made it really tough on on them and they say the statistics are almost the same as people going to war so how many kids went 
only maybe one one out of four would be lost is mm-hmm. kind of where the estimates are at so it felt like by putting them all in the same place and there's also a really powerful image of tents where these kids were kind of put on the outside of the school where they had to stay uh, their tb tents and so we know that was one of the big causes that were how these children were lost and actually in the rise commemorative we have an associate member named doug stewart who's been doing research on his own trying to come up with names but what makes it really hard is there's and this has been common in a lot of schools is there's the intake information but there's not discharge information so it Mm -hmm. makes it really hard to correlate who's come and who's gone and and so that was one of the challenges but this gentleman on his own time and and with his own funds actually went to ottawa went to archives to try and piece together what he could and so he's come up with a a list of names of potential children buried there. We don't know where mm-hmm. on the site they could be buried, but it gives us a good idea. And these names will be what we want to put on the commemorative headstone when we get to that stage. Mm-hmm. So um, was anyone ever able to find any of the surviving children from that school and um, any of their family members and, and talk to them and find out what happened? Well, unfortunately, when we started our documentary, the last living survivor had passed away a year before. So we've been able to connect with descendants. But because residential school carries a heavy weight and carries a lot of shame, there's a lot of silence in First Nations history because of the results. So sometimes all we could get was fragments. Mm. And by piecing together all the fragments, we can get an idea of what happened. Mm -hmm. But it's not like talking about residential school with a living survivor we don't get Mm -hmm. those direct memories but you can see the type of behaviors that were carried out because it's all a cycle and a lot of the residential school models were inspired by the industrial school because you change the name you're still Mm -hmm. not changing what you're doing it's still social experimenting so it just has a new name so we can get an idea of what happened but as for any direct stories, it, it made it really hard to piece together this documentary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, our interviewees were uh, the grandchildren or the great-grandchildren of students mm-hmm. because it was so long ago. Right. Yeah. You'd have a general idea because you've, you've got survivors of other in, uh, you know, schools. Like we had, uh, we had the honor of having Elder uh, Lorna standing ready here talking about her experiences in residential school and um, it was a very very powerful story and uh, mm-hmm. like I said we were, we were really honored to have her here to uh, to talk to us about it and I would imagine that if anything it would be if anything worse than what she experienced which was bad enough mm-hmm. yeah and even through intergenerational survivors like as someone who is an intergenerational survivor and has overcome child sexual abuse and the cycles that got carried out from these schools into the communities, it's very much a living presence that we still live with and have to deal with. So even though the schools are gone, those cycles are still there. And so actively a lot of First Nations people are trying to find ways to overcome that and healing through our stories, our storytelling, our traditions, our culture, going back to our language. So there's ways to, for the path to go forward, 
but we find it, especially Trudy and I, we find it very important to remind people that this is something that's still living and still has to be addressed. And so when you hear stories through survivors, as we had heard, we can see the repercussions of it makes us understand our, our family a little more, too, mm-hmm. like to understand why they were the way they were. Like with my cookum, she didn't talk a lot. She had the impact of residential school and she didn't know how to communicate with her kids. And so there wasn't a lot of hugs and not a lot of emotion in our family. But now I'm able to do that to my kids. But it's from acknowledging the legacy that I was able to make a point that my children are going to be hugged. They're going to be told they're loved every day. And that's something that unfortunately myself and many others had to go through. So it was something my mom taught me when she went through counseling. It's like having uh, PTSD, I would Mm -hmm. think, isn't it? When you think about, um, like I can, the only thing that I can um, liken it to is my grandfather who was in the war. He wouldn't, he would never talk about it and he uh, would never talk about his experiences. And, um, you know, my dad, his son, could never get him to talk about you know what happened in in the war and and he probably had a little bit of P- PTSD when he got back so and I think a person is forever affected and and I think my dad said I you know I'll never treat my children the way he might have been treated so I think you know people don't understand the struggle uh, of the residential school legacy and what people have to um, live with and combat as a result of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. we've heard uh, hundreds of stories from survivors and um, even, you know, women who are in their, you know, 60s will say, all my life, uh, whenever I see a, a old white bald man, I get sick to my stomach because that was who, you know... Perpetuated... Yeah, um, yeah that's who abused me. Yeah. Or, you know, physical reactions mm-hmm. to they taste. A trigger. Yeah, exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And then it's lifelong. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, how do you ever, how do you overcome that? You know, without, yeah. I don't know, psychological counseling. And even that, I mean, these things are with you forever, I think. Um, so maybe we could talk about the walk. That's um, a positive, um, something oh. positive. Yes, this, uh, the walk was initiated by Lisa Dustyhorn, who currently is actually on a walk from Musaman to Regina, mm-hmm. honoring her sister who went missing, Danita Big Eagle. And she's also walking for the children of Rise, along with all the murdered and missing women. So this was her way to bring awareness to the children in the site, because she said when she was watching the news, her heart went out for these children. So we've seen that she wanted to do this walk, so we, right away in the first year, wanted to help her and walk with her. And so this has become something that is carried out. And and traditional feasts and events often happen in fours, so each time we do the walk, there's been progress when it comes to the work we've been doing as the commemorative, as Rise Media, as basically as a community. And so every year... It gives us a chance to, to show where we've come in that point. And so we're hoping by the fourth walk that we'll have the stone set up. There'll be some closure. Not that it's over, but at mm-hmm. least if we can get the stone up and have the fence extended so that the six children who are on the outside of the fence can also be in the fence with the rest of the children. 
that these goals will take place. And so that's what the walk really gives us a chance to do. And so she's been doing this for, this will be the third walk. Mm -hmm. And so we're really happy to support it. And when she announced that the walk was going to be on July 27th at noon, we felt that we had been... People wanted a rise to action. They wanted a series of events. So we wanted to organize it around her efforts so that mm -hmm. we can also honor her, celebrate her work, but also give us a chance to showcase what everybody else has been doing. Okay, perfect. And it uh, it's July 27th, starts at noon, and it runs till 4 p.m.? Yeah, so we'll be walking together starting at Sacame, and we'll go to 701 Pinky Road where the children are. And then after we'll do that, we'll convene with a feast and it's a really good way to honor the children and to get together and to celebrate the work we've done so far. Because there is positive, even if it's a negative subject we're talking about. And we can continue on talking about the walk after the break? Yes, we can. And, uh, you know, it, it, I just am struck by just how valuable this uh, event is that, that you're organizing here. And it's an ongoing thing. Like, it's not the be-all and the end-all. It's just going to be a step in raising awareness and making people uh, understand or begin to understand what actually happened and uh, what needs to be done to, uh, while we're talking reconciliation, kind of not exactly make amends, but, but to, uh, again, like I say, understand what's going on and... Uh, and to somehow, be aware yeah, of make things of, right. Yeah, you know whether whether that's possible or not. Anyway, it is time for the break. And on the other side of the break, we have some music by one of my favorite artists, Brad Belgard. I was uh, I was telling Daylene. Thank you. <laughs> uh, a little while ago, uh, that uh, I uh, have never been a great fan of rap music. But where I started to like rap was when I experienced uh, Brad, and he is um, he's a wonderful artist, and I appreciate the work that he does. And uh, uh, I'm looking forward to hearing this music that that you've selected, and we'll have we'll hear that on the other side of the break, which won't take very long. And uh, so we'll be right back after that, and we're talking about rise to action. I remember everything with images A red truck and a man in a black robe Things with my mom, call him Father Joe So we call him Father Joe I saw a tear in my mother's eye I let out a cry, but I didn't know why Piled up in the back of a truck It had a flatbed on it and the road was rough My hands were shaking, feeling sick to my stomach Where are they taking us? Who could have done it? My body is nervous, why am I leaving? What is the purpose? What is the reason? Now I'm just the last little kid looking for my mother in this life that I live All alone on the road that I'm traveling And all I really want to do is just go home I remember 
Walking through the doors of the school, it was cool in September. They gave us clothes, put numbers on us, sweater, said this will be your name till you're home in December. They put powder on my head, threw me in the shower, then lined us up for bed. They took my braid away. They took my braids away. When I see you taken away, my heart becomes displaced. With broken shadows, no time for fate. I'll never see you again. I know I'll never see you again. I know I'll never see you again. Cold night, feeling shackled in my bed. I remember hearing whispers from the kids, whispers across the room, talking things like, I hope we go home soon. And this is just the first night in my life. I think this is my worst night. I'm just a kid in the testing my will. When we'd hear the jingle of the keys, we'd all lie still. I close my eyes just to block of where I'm living with an image on a cloud that I'm sitting. I wanna fly away. I wanna fly away. I can't cry. I can't sleep. They even took away your gift for trying to speak. I remember thinking that we never get to meet. Then my mind drifted off and fell asleep. My first morning brought food I couldn't eat. And if we didn't, we get punished in a seat. This is the life that I had to live in residential school as a kid. Now it's 60 years later looking back. Kind of funny how my mom remembers that. All the little things that I can't forget. But I'm thankful that I made it every step. And through the years confronted so many fears My feelings have been adjusted, I'm telling it to your ears The elements of my tears, the sentiments of the years That I spent with my peers, I when remember When I see you taken away My heart becomes displaced With broken shadows, no time for fate I'll never see you again ends kind of abruptly there but I'd like you two to tell us something some of the information behind how that video was that that's the music from the video and Daylene watched it and I haven't it was, I'm, I'm gonna have to do that yeah it was riveting as, as I was saying to you while the music was playing it was powerful it was riveting it was um, heartbreaking uh, it was uh, an unbelievably fantastic, well-done video. So yeah. if you two want to go ahead and tell us about the, the background of the video, you know, certainly go ahead. Okay, well, actually, there was a time when me and Trudy were editing Rise from Amnesia that we were kind of like running into like a wall, basically, a creative wall where we were having trouble. How are we going to put the story together? You know, what do we need to bring out the walk? Because we documented the first walk, which is on the documentary. And uh, Brad, I had worked as a story keeper at the Mackenzie Art Gallery. And so I was starting to get to know him and he had put out the song on CBC. And when I had heard it, I thought, this is the spirit of what we're trying to do with our film. So I showed it to Trudy and Trudy responded in the same way that we felt that this is a good fit for the documentary and so when we talked to him he was he was very excited about the opportunity but we also felt that more can be done with his story that he could direct his own music video with the support of rise media team and we could do something that it could be shared on another level and 
also help kind of promote the film. So we asked him if this was something he wanted to do. He was excited. So he put together his own vision of how he wanted to see the the video go. And so he talked to his family about it, which is where the stories come from. His mom, his dad, and his uncle shared stories about their experiences at residential school. And it translated to the song. And so on the process, he actually invited the team out to go to Labrette. And we shot in Regina here the next day. But the locations that you see where he's singing in the video are places that his mom had taken him to go look and shared memories of those sites. And so those are the locations he took us to the next day. And it was a really great experience to not only get to know more about Labrette, which is almost like the next generation which came after the Regina Indian Industrial School. So it it shares a little more kind of history that I was learning about as well because I'm not from this area so it was a really great opportunity and he opened the door to an amazing experience and uh, we shot a lot of production and as Trudy said on the break this was one of the best experiences we had shooting a video I don't know if Trudy wants to add more to that but we definitely agree that he's an amazing talent that people should know about and mm-hmm. The songs that he sings speaks very powerful messages and in a way that reaches young audiences and other audiences as well. So, Trudy? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how much more I can add to that, but just, um, yeah, we, we she gave the song to me and I had assembled uh, all of my memorial walk footage and we just plopped it down on the timeline and it was just perfect. Like there, even the part there was a part where I had gotten the plane because, um, you know, when when Janine's father and his sis- and his sister went to visit the site and they were relaying things that the children were telling them. One of the things that the children said was the birds were too loud, and they were asking what birds are around here, are there nests or anything. And then we figured out after about five minutes when a plane flew overhead, we went, oh, the airport is just right there. They're saying the planes are too loud. So I had, you know, been shot a plane and then came down to the, to the walk and then where we had just plopped it on <laughs> was the the uh, lyric I want to fly away. <laughs> it was, just, it was just, everything was just it was just too perfect and it just yeah. fits in everybody loves that song. Yeah, and we'll be screening it at Rise Media Presents at the Saskatchewan Film Pool on Thursday at seven o'clock. He's one of our guest artists. Yep. So and if you want the video will be there. Yeah, if you want to see more about the video or learn more about uh, his process of making it and all that, you can come and talk to Brad then. Do you want to talk about the um, Thursday, July twenty eighth uh, media project now, or yeah, sure. maybe talk more about our wonderful guests that will be there? Yeah, okay. you've got Louise Big Eagle and mm-hmm. Brad and Evie Rudy, and so I'll let you go ahead and, and tell us about the the whole evening okay well uh, Janine and I we were you know really honored to be the directors the co-directors of the documentary but we felt that we didn't want to be the only voice of the school or the seen as the authority or the experts uh, because we know that there's so many other people that had ties to the school and and you know we wanted to see their point of view and and how they related to the school so um, one of the things that we did was we had a storytelling workshop that Evie Rudy from uh, Stories That Move You .ca had facilitated, and we had invited anybody who wanted to learn more about the school 
um, some of our RISE commemorative members, like Doug Stewart, who she had mentioned earlier, and, and Lisa Hine, who's the archaeologist who is did the EMR scan on the site and still works out there, um, had given a presentation. And then uh, we had a couple of storytellers, um, Natanas Pipot, who's a really accomplished journalist, uh, and uh, Wilf Dieter, whose great-grandfather was a student at the Regina Indian Industrial School. They each directed their, with the help of Rudy, or sorry, Evie, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you know, made their own stories uh, about the about themselves and how they relate to the school. And uh, so we also had Louise Big Eagle, who is um, a, an important member of our team. She uh, was our social media, did, did a lot of... Uh, basically anything she came onto every every shoot and just wanted to learn as much as she could but she also wanted to learn about that iconic photo of um thomas markisic and if you don't know the name you would definitely know the face because he is um kind of seen as the face of residential school because he's that before and after oh, you know he's in the little in boy the in the regalia traditional right. and then in the next photo he's in you know, with his haircut and right, like western, sort of a suit type of completely thing. right. And so he was from Muscopeding, and he was from uh, he was actually a twenty second student that was registered at the Regina Indian Industrial School. So she uh, did a lot of research and and you know went out and talked to people at uh, the Glen Anaquad Memorial Teepee raising at the U of R to see what they knew. And uh, it so that is a one of the stories that's featured called I am a boy and the other one is uh, of course the video so we have uh, Brad Louise Evie Natanis and Wilf that will be honored at uh, the Rise Media Presents next Thursday at the film pool at 7 p.m. and it goes till 9 p.m. Mm-hmm. and um, what Will all of the artists be um, in attendance to talk about um, art and its its impact on um, social justice issues? And um, yes, yeah, all five will be available to talk about uh, you know their process and making it, what inspired them, um, you know maybe the the creative process that they used and mm-hmm. um, maybe how it's uh, what's happened since then because the the video was released last. September, yeah, September fifteenth on the signing of Treaty Four. Yeah, and both I am a boy and uh, I remember were screened at performing Turtle Island, which was a big uh, thing that was held at the U of R last fall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So each of these, uh, I'm a boy. I remember Grandpa Gogo into the light and reconciliation they're all separate films or have they all been compiled into one uh one film uh, they're they're separate films you can view them on their own mm-hmm. um we wanted to screen them as a selection though because they we were all it was all under the umbrella of rise media project which is uh, an organization that trudy and i are multimedia producers for so we mm-hmm. create work on the topic and so we felt that these artists in particular not only gave their stories, they gave their heart and their support to the organization. And we wanted to also celebrate them and have them available to, to talk a little bit about what has been going. Because we know that the personal is political. So even though a lot of them are personal, it's all reflecting what intergenerational impact we had. And so that's part of how we want to get the conversation going. And 
we feel like together it's a nice selection. It's a easy evening. Trudy knows never to put a hundred minutes of <laughs> videos all in one night. So it's a, no. there'll be more conversation. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm looking forward to it and I'm really looking forward to celebrating their work and, mm -hmm. and who they are because they gave us a lot personally and I feel like they carried us through that project when we felt weighed down by everything mm -hmm. we were doing. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Do people need to RSVP? Can they just show up? Um, oh, just show up. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. I had a phone call actually from a lady <laughs> who said, "Do I, I? I'm calling to register for the symposium. <laughs> and you don't need to register. You just um, and you know, pick out whatever events you'd like to. Yeah, come it's to. grassroots in approach in nature. So okay, yeah. so it's free of charge. Free of charge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, and it's at the Film Pool uh, Cooperative, and that's 301 1822 Scarth. Yeah. yeah. So it's in that uh, Franklin W Hill Mall. Mm -hmm. uh, Kind of beside, between dots and tramps up on the third floor. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So maybe, uh, can we talk about, do you have anything, Jim, that you want to ask about? You look perplexed. Oh, I, was, I had a few thoughts as I'm sitting here and just uh, really, really, uh, I'm so impressed with what you're doing and and your direction and, and just feels like you're just going to keep on going. This isn't the end and there's going to be more stuff to and I was just wondering if you know of any other groups in Canada that are doing similar things. I'd be very surprised if you're working in a vacuum. Well, no. I think there's there's other people protecting different sites. Mm -hmm. um, this in itself is unique because we've been really working with different community members, mm -hmm. different church organizations, different First Nations communities. So the scale of what we're working with is is quite new and could be, it's a little overwhelming at times because that's a lot of voices that... So you're kind of breaking, you're, you're kind of breaking trail here when yeah. it comes right down to it. Um, I, I was just thinking of an experience I had in Spanish Ontario and I saw a building there, this is a long time ago, and until we started talking about the the school here, I had no idea what that was. And then I realized that was an Indian school in Spanish Ontario. It must have been a, a very, in, you know, it's still there and it's abandoned and they're not using it for anything. Well, what was going on? And uh, did not know until, you know, we started talking about what's what's happened here. Mm -hmm. So so speaking of um, breaking ground and, and taking care of these um, these, you know, places. Um, in 2014, I think it was Carry the Kettle First Nation, um, they proposed to City Council that the site be granted heritage status, uh, and the city officials were debating whether um, to commemorate the site or provide heritage protection, and neither was recommended um, by city administration at the time because they said, this is not something that we should that should be led by the city due to the sensitivity of the situation. It should be led by the operation of the Regina in Indian Industrial School, including the families of the deceased children. So do you agree with this stance, and, and what is your take on this? Well, at the time, it it did like send conflicting messages. However, we have the involvement of the city currently. Mm -hmm. uh, they do feel that the organization, which had been started by the First Nations Working Group, is exactly the type of work that they were hoping to be, that they wanted to mm -hmm. support. So I I can understand because I've been dealing with a lot of voices myself. 
Um, but we are on the road to, like, we've put in our application for mu- municipal designation. Mm-hmm. It's really important now that those who want to support the initiative to get their letters into the city because what we need to do now is we need to have as much support as we can. So they've already reached out sending to all the 43 communities of the designation process. Mm-hmm. We've sent it out to all the people who've been supporting us already. And they do have dates in September where people can come and speak if they wish on the matter. Uh, I don't know when it was, but it wasn't too long ago that I was actually speaking to City Council, and that's when they were talking about the TRC calls to action. So Mm -hmm. after I had talked and a couple others, they had agreed to accept the TRC calls to action with Action 75 being its priority, which has to do with the site and protection and commemoration. So at the time, maybe it just wasn't the right timing, but I feel like today with the support we've got, we, we're coming a long way. The city is there. They do acknowledge there's a role, but I'm only, like, mm-hmm. I can only speak on the work we've been doing together. So we've had meetings hosted at the city right now. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm, I'm the kind of person who likes to stay positive. So mm-hmm. I'm really happy with where we are now. And I'm hoping that it actually ripple effects because really what needs to happen is now that we got municipal on board, mm-hmm. it's going to be getting the support of the province to be the next big step so that's going to be a lot of advocating a lot of awareness and just really getting right into all the grassroots organizations Mm -hmm. as well because politicians do listen to grassroots voices when they speak in a loud mass so Mm -hmm. i think that's where we're focused on and as a person who's an educator i focus on the children because the children have the most powerful voice so we've done a lot of work in schools with the regina indian industrial school and and I've that's actually been the most fulfilling work that I've done in a long time. Mm-hmm. In, in hindsight, I think perhaps the, the the city's initial reaction was a good one. They wanted to basically let things develop, and um, like they weren't approaching it from a negative point of view. They just wanted to find out more about it, and now it seems that they are prepared to do something. And I think really something needs to be done to to recognize what's going on there and and give it an, an official and permanent designation mm-hmm. so that you don't have to worry about uh, you know people changing you know time marches on politicians change and then you have somebody who has different ideas and mm-hmm. they think oh it would be a good idea to do something else and uh, so I think it's a good idea to make it official what should be done there and and uh, what its importance is to the community at large. Because the land is privately owned right now, is that correct? And it has been from since about the 80s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so uh, someone there maintains the property. They mow the lawn. And is, is that... Well, community members have been coming and helping mm. maintain the land. Oh, okay. Uh, they've been allowing access to the land so mm-hmm. that things like ceremonies can take place, walks can take place. So in the meantime, there's been a lot of healing going on with the site mm-hmm. and so over time we want to to for the organization to take responsibility for those and mm-hmm. being first nations led it, it does yeah. fulfill the requirements that people are hoping for and and really what i like to tell people is even though i'm here leading as a president this is not me this is an organization that was asked to be formed and it's going to have a legacy beyond my own lifespan so i i'm 
we're we're building something mm-hmm. and we really want to make sure people know that and there's a place at the table for everyone and what's really important is not to focus on necessarily the negative but to focus on walking together and to do it together because mm-hmm. reconciliation takes a real relationship to form we need to be friends we need to see each other as family as brothers and sisters the walk allows us to walk together so that's why we really want to get people in on the healing journey because we do got to heal together both sides suffered in this and so we need to come out of it in a way. So by not knowing and by having that history, it reminds me a lot of Germany, which we were talking about. And I'm part German as well. So I, I understand the Holocaust history. My grandfather said the hardest part was the great shame that happened after when people didn't want to talk about it, when right. they had their own heavy, because they didn't know what was going on, because mm-hmm. it was something that had happened in their backyard as well. Mm-hmm. And so they needed a lot of healing. So even in on my German side, we had to go through a healing process, so I feel like I needed to know that. So when I understood residential school legacy, that I can see from both sides. And so mm-hmm. I acknowledge our own suffering, but I also feel like this is something we have to do together to mm-hmm. do it right. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very important to make this permanent, mm-hmm. you know, that it's not something that's going to fade away. No. It, it's going to be there for people to study and to understand in future generations. That's a great segue to talk about our... <laughs> uh, July 26th event, which is uh, our AGM for the Rise Commemorative Association. But it's also the unveiling of uh, three maquettes that uh, local artist Eagle Claw Tom has created. Uh, he was commissioned to come up with three different um, models for a possible future commemorative stone that will... Uh, then be taken on tour through the fall to all the different communities. There was There's 39 First Nations communities that had students uh, attend the Regina Indian Industrial School. So we'd like input from especially those communities about, uh, you know, what they want to see in the stone, um, you know, and, mm-hmm. and then from then uh, create, you know, the permanent marker that will be held at, that will be hosted at, at the site. Mm-hmm. Which we are hoping will be for the fourth walk next year. <laughs> Did you hear that, everybody? <laughs> and that's uh, 6.30, July 26th at Segewe Walk Artist Collective, which is uh, 2150 Albert Street. Okay. And so what do you need people to bring to the walk? It's on July 27th uh, at 12 noon. I just want to make sure I have this correct. Um and it goes till 4 p.m., starts at the Sacame gas station on Dudney Avenue and goes it goes down the Pinky Road to the cemetery. Yes. And then there's a feast and prayer after. And you need people to bring um, plastic flowers. Um, I'll let you go ahead and tell us what you need. Uh, well, everybody's kind of bringing something. The Regina Aboriginal Professional Association is going to be bringing some candles and teddy bears, some feast food. Um, members of the community are going to be bringing feast food as well. So we encourage people, if they want to bring those items, to, to bring them. And But we mostly want to make sure people bring themselves and, <laughs> and come and walk with us and, and join in our feast because the feast welcomes everybody. So mm-hmm. it's a good experience and to to participate in because it resonates heavily and as a spiritual person it's also healing for the community to participate in mm-hmm. this activity and food always brings people together 
Yes, it always does. <laughs> food, yeah. food is good for sharing. Yeah. And if people want more information or they want to reach uh, any of the organizers, who should they contact? Uh, well, they can contact me, uh, Trudy Stewart. My phone number is 306-539-1315. Or you can also reach us at Rise Media Project at Gmail, R-I-I-S Media Project at gmail.com. Great. Thank you. We still have three minutes. Oh, oh. <laughs> here we're talking <laughs> fast and <laughs> rushing through it. And <laughs> I was just going to mention uh, something else, or something that you touched on. Um, the gentleman that was a that knew uh, of the existence of the uh, of the uh, cemetery mentioned. Uh, I think his father told him that it was haunted. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had the experience of seeing little lights floating around there. Mm-hmm. And I have to admit that, that it's kind of something that I'm interested in. And to me, that would kind of indicate that you definitely would have some... Spirits. Uh, uh, spirits, uh, you know, uh, without... I'm I'm trying not to sound trite about this because I think it's very important and, and, uh, and serious. But I think you'd have... You, you've got... Um, entities there that want, that need to be put to rest, that mm-hmm. they need to have their story told. People have to understand, and I think that's part of it. You yeah. know, what do you two think? We need to send them home spiritually. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's something that a lot of our subjects and a lot of people we talk about is they need to be sent home to the spirit world, mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. need to have their ceremonies because forty-three communities is forty-three ways of doing things, right. and so not all of them exist. There's thirty-nine, as she had mentioned, that are right. currently still existing, but that means that there's a lot of ways that mm-hmm. have to, a lot of things that have to happen, but it has to happen from the people. So. Right. That's it's a good point to mm-hmm. kind of so focus there's on some, their journey home. Do you think it's possible to have seen little little lights and Oh yeah. Oh yes. I think yeah. so. Yeah. Sure. I think yeah. so. I think yeah. so. So I think there's some we need to get some elders in action here and get some ceremonies and get people mm-hmm. on track and get them involved and um Get people some, up to the walk. Some and, under, yeah. yeah. And yeah. we're really grateful to Noel Star Blanket, who's uh, an elder that we uh, really lean on heavily mm-hmm. in this project. And he's the one who's been leading the feast for the last, um, well, this will be the second time. So, Right. But we find that after every event and after every, like, the land changes and it feels lighter. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. so it's, uh, it's a work in progress. And... Yeah. In, Kind of improvement has been made. There's more work to be done. Progress has been made. Progress yeah. has been made. Yeah. yeah. And, and Noel Star Blanket is another uh, well, elder we've had the honor of having on our show. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Um, it's one of our favorite people. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we have come to the end of our hour, and I would really like to thank uh, Trudy and. Uh, Janine. Janine. <laughs> it's a hard one to say. And, uh, <laughs> thought I'd help him out just in case. Thank you. And uh, on behalf of Daylene and myself, we'd like to thank you both for being here and, and explaining this very, very important uh, topic. And uh, pioneering human rights campaigner Peter Benenson often said, it's better to light a candle of hope than to curse the darkness.